Hello and welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast, where we'll be recapping another close loss for ASU. This one, 15-7 at the hands of number five, Washington. Sun Devils now 1-6. I'm your host, Ethan Tuttle, and I've got the usuals with me today. Let's go ahead and start with Noah Furtado and Chris Cartman. You guys were there at, at Washington. What was the atmosphere like? Go ahead and key me in on, on the environment a little bit. Noah, let's go ahead and start with you. Electric um, from, you know, really the pregame atmosphere. You could tell um, just how invested that fan base is in this recent success that the program has been put under with Kalen DeBoer at the helm. It was uh, the dog pound. Basically, they they were barking. Uh, it was it was really loud. And you saw an interesting dynamic sort of shift as the game went on where it was went from sort of hostile um, to, you know, ASU in that environment to hostile to Washington somehow. Um, Obviously, they have not expected the game to be as close as it was. And with ASU having a lead going to the fourth quarter, there were moments up to that point in which they actually booed their own team. Um, It was pretty surreal to see that uh, firsthand and also even happened to hear ASU chants um, on occasion. It was, um, (laughs) you you even expect to see that too often at ASU's games just because of how the attendance has been shaky in and out. Uh, But you did there. And then the sort of crescendo of the day was prefaced by a very interesting um, just sort of observation before the start of the fourth quarter, they, they had played purple rain um, very famous song performed by Prince. Everyone knows it. Um, and essentially it was going to be used somewhere in our content, whether ASU won or lost the lyrics and never meant to cause you any pain. Uh, just that theme uh, was going to be whether or not ASU was able to do that, inflict pain on an opponent, or continue to do so uh, to to itself. And I think that we saw uh, the latter occur with the pick six and basically couldn't hear myself think in that moment uh, while trying to process what had just happened. It was um, something probably I haven't experienced before and something I've won't actually experience um, again, you know, at least something that's comparable. So very, very interesting up and down ebbs and flows in terms of how that atmosphere shaped up on Saturday. And then Chris, over to you, kind of the, the last time ASU's going to play a Pac-12 game in Seattle, your thoughts um, being there on site at Husky Stadium? Well, it was kind of sad, really. Um I've covered Pac-12 football a really long time. I've made, I don't know how many trips up there for games, um, more than a half dozen. And uh, it's a great, great scene. Environment is awesome. They had a basically a sellout crowd. It rained in the first half, even though it wasn't expected, but that's also expected to some degree in Seattle. Um the you know that was Noah's first experience in that type of an environment I think but on the road especially but I think the crowd was actually quite uh 
you know, muted for much of the game because they were so unhappy with how Washington was playing offensively. And then that contrast to when the pick six happened and, and, and everything late was quite stark and uh, absolutely not what ASU was hoping for. Just uh, Washington, not a turnover-prone team, and gave the ball up just several times, really unforced errors that set a great opportunity in motion for ASU that it seemed like it 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 could capitalize on. But the theme of this season has been a failure to take advantage of opportunities and uh, be able to emerge victorious late in games. And so that theme uh, reared itself again in the most damaging of, of emotionally of ways given the caliber of the opponent and how incredibly well that ASU's defense played. And so that's, uh, you know, for one of the things I tweeted after is I'm sure every ASU fan watching that is just totally heartsick for Brian Ward, ASU's defensive coordinator and the defensive players on that team because they had just an incredible performance. We've got Jake Seymour on as well. Jake, just thoughts on this game, and uh, uh, how are you doing today? Doing good, Ethan. Uh, obviously, kind of like Chris said, kind of a heartbreaker for ASU. Really, like, you could use, like, the perfect kind of um, just kind of almost symbol of their season where they've the team has been so close at times when you watch them play to almost taking a the next step and having something good happen to them. And it seems like just in those crucial moments, uh, something happens and something occurs that kind of throws them off. And I think Dillingham even said it, um, you know, post game, the best way to sum that up was they're figuring out different ways to lose. And when that happens, obviously kind of gets you to the point where they are now in their uh, season. All right, guys. Well, we're going to go ahead and jump right into it here. We're going to go with defense first today because that side of the ball for ASU absolutely deserves it. First team in 50 games to hold Washington to zero offensive touchdowns. The Huskies averaged 424 passing yards a game coming in, but finished with less than 300 yards total offense. So, Jake, I want to spin it right back around to you. What enabled the ASU defense to perform so well? I think this was the first game that we've seen ASU's defense, its front seven and the defensive line, really get into the pocket and create pressure while that being translated into the secondary. So far this season, we've talked about how the, uh, they're able to generate sacks and get pressure to the quarterbacks. Um, but that hasn't translated to interceptions. And although in this game, ASU didn't have uh, a sack and they didn't even register a quarterback hurry, Penix was getting hit a lot. He was feeling the pressure from the front seven. And I feel like that kind of translated a little bit into the secondary. Uh, and I think once that once they kind of got thrown off their rhythm uh, in the first drive, because they had real Torrance had the pick on the, on the very first drive, once they kind of got thrown off their rhythm, ASU's defense was really good at kind of putting their foot on their throat and making sure they kind of had to fight back against that game. And you kind of saw it when you watched that game and that it took Washington um, the entire game to get back into it until the pick six. And then, you know, Washington's just a really good team that once they get back into it, they're going to run away with it. So this was a masterclass performance defensively uh, by Brian Ward and that, and that entire scheme. It was something that I don't think, uh, you know, a lot of people expected going into it. And it's uh, I'm curious to see now if you're going to start seeing – a lot of um, what was what happened in that game, and that's going to be trying to replicate it by other teams because it was the first time Washington was pretty much shut down 
uh, all season, especially in the last calendar year. No, let's go ahead, go over to you to get your thoughts on this ASU defensive performance against a really terrific Washington offense. The turnovers obviously uh, was the marker to have four after you had one through your first six games is, is stark. And I think that to some extent, the defense's inability before this game to, to force turnovers um, skewed our perspective a little bit on how good they actually were. Um, this, this to some extent was, was the first time we saw the, the defense's full potential laid out. Um, and I think regarding Washington, there were drives in which uh, you saw ASU force Washington to to work itself down the field and make it difficult to get it all in one play or two plays or three plays. Washington had entered the matchup averaging over four plays of 30-plus yards, 4.3, and they had a zero by game's end Saturday. That was tremendously important, I think, to ASU's defense to be able to at least limit that aspect of Washington's explosiveness. They still had uh, some chunk plays for sure, uh, you know, 15 yards, 16, 17 yards. Um, but overall, being able to to at least keep them under that 30-yard mark, we, we talked about it a lot before the game, what was huge. And also... The thing with the pressures was, and Chris had pointed this out too, very astute observation on Saturday, that there was a lot of A-gap pressure that Brian Ward had had schemed up. And that sort of made it very clear to Penix on some of these plays that there was going to be someone in his face. So it, it wasn't even necessarily coming off the edge, but coming up straight up the middle. And to some extent, at least on some plays, looked like that flustered him. Um you know, there, there was a lot of interior pressure from from blitzes, twists, and and overall, you know, we, we've seen Ward's ability to to be aggressive, but I think in this one he he knew how to to get to Penix, who is not as mobile of a quarterback as someone like a Caleb Williams. And you kind of saw him get off platform and not be as effective. The first interception even you could see him get some happy feet, which was very, very surprising for someone who had only thrown three three interceptions through the first six games. Uh, he tried to look off one read and then very sort of just slung it out uh, to where, you know, Dunze was was supposed to be. And, and it was very, it, it set the tone almost for ASU's defense and what they wanted to accomplish. And they just continued to build off of that. So I felt like, you know, this was the first game in which um, ASU's defense altogether was able to put forth a full performance. And and against a team like Washington, that that's the barometer. They're able to do that against them. Uh, why not against anyone else left on their schedule? So, Chris, let's go ahead and go over to you. Where does this rank among defensive performances that you've seen at ASU? Very high up there. Um... I hesitate to to rank games when you have a recency sort of bias, probably, but relative to the caliber of the opponent, right? Washington is fifth ranked in the country. 
70 passing yards per game more than any other team going into this game. Leading Heisman Trophy candidate. Incredible in the red zone. Explosive plays among the top teams in the country. We talked about it amongst ourselves, guys. I said ASU's going to probably have to give up zero or one 30-plus yard play in this game to, to, to have a chance. They didn't give up any. And I can't really say enough about Brian Ward's um, the, the approach that he took to this game. Pretty sure he coached. So Washington won its last seven games last season. The last of which was uh, it was Washington State, Washington Apple Cup. Washington scored 52 points in that game. Same defensive coordinator, same scheme. Very good defense that Washington State had. So this was a masterful uh, approach that they had. I, I felt like we knew going in, Jordan Clark had said that they were going to play more man coverage. We didn't include it in our content. You know, we're trying to, you know, you're just trying to not get in trouble for tipping things off, right? That's one of the things you have to worry about with media access and um, lose that access for potentially. But so we kind of knew that they were going to try to throw, uh, play a lot of man coverage, bring a lot of those A-gap pressures. And the, the timing of the safety uh, of blitzes a lot with Shamari Simmons was just incredible. I can't believe that there's no hurries in the game for either team. Like, I don't understand exactly how that stat works because very clearly Michael Penix was throwing the ball in a hurry because he had to, because he was under duress. And a lot of the route structures and combinations weren't able to set up for the vertical shots because of the pressure that ASU was generating. And that contributed to helping the team uh, on the back end be able to get some takeaway opportunities that they capitalized on, which hadn't been done throughout the season. I call that just progression to the mean. Uh, we talked a lot about ASU being so far outside of the bounds of what could be possibly expected with its turnover generation this year compared to what Brian Ward has done historically in eight seasons, averaging 1.7 takeaways per game while a defensive coordinator this season, 0.16 per game going into this game. So they were due to get a big turnover performance. We didn't think it would happen, right? Because Penix doesn't turn the ball over hardly ever. ever. Washington doesn't turn the ball over hardly ever. And then the other thing is Washington was only two of three in the red area with um, both field goals of their three field goals. And this is a team that scores touchdowns at an 80 plus percent clip in that area. So this was a stunning performance. Washington also only ran the ball for 13 yards on 13 attempts. So uh, if they played, I mean, I hate to say this because it, it may be taken wrong, but if ASU and Washington played a hundred games in Seattle this season, Washington would score a touchdown in 95 or more of those games. Very confident. So this was as good as you possibly could, could ask for. And uh, it's unfortunate for them that, that they weren't able to celebrate that as a win.
With the way the defense has been playing and coming off a game where they forced the four turnovers, how are you guys feeling right now seven weeks in with this side of the ball specifically uh, for the Sun Devils? Jake, let's go ahead and go over to you. Yeah, I think, you know, we kind of talked about it throughout the podcast this season. So the defense is the best side of the ball for ASU uh, when you include special teams and offense. They're the ones that have been the most consistent. They're the ones that have had the most performances that you look at and say, wow, that was a really good performance, including this past weekend. Um, and I was surprised that they were even able to pull that off uh, last uh, this past weekend because it was Washington was such a good passing offense, the best in the country. They got the Heisman favorite. It just seemed like all the cards were stacked up against ASU's defense in this. In this, and when you looked at it, I think a lot of people said ASU defense is going to be good, but Washington's offense is that much better that it almost doesn't matter how good how good the defense is. We all picked uh, Washington to score 35 or more points. We didn't think uh, them being held uh, to under 35, let alone without an offensive touchdown, was was possible. And now we kind of you know now we're sitting here talking about it, and it's kind of ironic because it was they snapped a 50 game streak that they had an offensive touchdown in. So I think right now you look at this, and the defense is never going to be the question, at least right now for this team and for the rest of the way. It's just a matter of can they get picked up and can the offense pretty much have their back to help them uh, win some games later down the stretch? No, let's jump over to you. Defensively. I think the thing that stands out more than anything is the player leadership. Um, Brian Ward has been phenomenal in scheming things up and his players most importantly have been able to execute that and be responsive to criticism and to basically self-accountable on top of that. You saw Travion Brown on Saturday, uh, ASU starting Mike Linebacker. He, he's been out the last couple of games, dressed on Saturday, did not really take part in warm-ups, but was there with his group throughout, trying to help out um, his position coach, A.J. Cooper, with just basically, you know, being there to support his guys. And then you saw even in, in between uh, timeouts, things of this nature, he's very involved and active. And that is a microcosm of what this unit, um, what has been able to drive this unit. Kenny Dillingham had brought up something today that had furthered this point about the buses after the game, uh, how clean the defensive bus was. And in contrast to that, you know, how, how, how much better it was compared to the offensive bus. So I just think that um, it's not just that this, this defense is talented because ASU's defense last year had talent. They, they, we went into last season thinking how good the defensive line was, for instance. And there were just a lot of things that went in, in, opposition to what they were able to accomplish there were some things questionable about the dc at the time and and all of these different things and it really wasn't a well-oiled machine there at every level you have a sense of, of leadership from the top down from brian ward down to the players and i just think that that sends a message to everyone on that on that side of the ball that they're going to be able to to trust each other. The 111 thing, they bring it up all the time on both sides of the ball, but the defense has actually been able to trust that um, 
very clearly. And, and, and this last performance was probably the peak um, realization of what they're able to do as a collective. Chris, let's go over to you, bring you into this defensive discussion some more. Uh, your thoughts here. So I don't mean to disparage anyone, but ASU doesn't really have great defensive talent relative to what I would say is average in the league. They have good, they have some good players. I mean, BJ Green, Deshaun Mallory, uh, Prince Dorba, and some of their guys in their secondary, they're good players, but they're not great. They're not great, great players. Like they're not going to have a bunch of dudes getting drafted high at all. And so it just tells you so much about how well that they're coached and coordinated. Like, let's look at a few things. Their tackling has been really good. This is the first year. They don't even practice tackling that much in practice because they're so injured and limited with their bodies in part. And they're trying to keep everybody healthy. And yet they tackle much better than some of these other teams that we've seen in recent years at ASU. They don't have a lot of penalties on either side of the ball, really. But they, they you know, there's not a lot of, there's not a ton of boneheaded things that are happening out there. Okay, there's one or two here or there, but it's not some negative theme. They have, like, almost nobody has gashed them repeatedly on the ground this year. Some teams haven't been able to run the ball that well at all. And I think the turnovers, they've been very unlucky. I really do. I think that in most years, they would have 10 turnovers right now. They have five. And if they had had those things, then a lot of their other stats would be looking even better. So they are in the top five in uh, total yard, total defense, passing defense, rushing defense. I think there's like seventh maybe in scoring defense. And that is partly because they're not getting more turnovers, partly because the, their offense is not doing very well and has turned the ball over quite a bit, putting them into some bad situations. But you look at this, at this, let's just be honest. You look at this group and you go, okay, who are going to be first or second team all-conference players on this defense? There's almost none. And yet they're and yet they held Washington without an offensive touchdown. So Brian Ward has done a, just an incredible job. The anecdote Noah said about the bus driver, apparently, when the team took the, their bus from the game to the airport, you know, it's probably about a 40-minute drive or something like that for them, said that and they eat on the bus and all this stuff. And, it's, you know, it's a football team, a bunch of young dudes. She said it was the cleanest bus she'd ever seen. And I think that that is an indicator of the attention to detail, the how much it matters to you the effort that you're putting in in every sort of way. And that starts with, with, with Brian Ward. He was smart enough to recognize that if he brought in Trey Brown, he'd be an alpha leader. They inherited Jordan Clark. That was a very good thing because he's sort of a leader, but Deshaun Mallory's and these other guys that they've added to it. It's been really impressive. Also, I should say, they're early in, earlier on, on in the season. I thought that Roe Torrance would be tested more and beaten more. And he's done a really good job. 
in the last few weeks. He deserves to hear that. This guy's done a really great job. He's giving himself a reasonable chance of getting a shot at the next level as a result of this. And others in the secondary have done well also. Chris Edmonds has been playing a lot better, I think, in recent weeks. Shamari Simmons has settled in. He's doing a good job. So kudos to them, man. It, it uh, again, definitely one of the best defensive performances that we've seen at ASU in decades. Yeah, a lot of guys continuing to develop. Let's go ahead and flip it over offensively, though. Uh, the team ran the ball a bit better this past week, but really got bogged down in the red zone and couldn't convert on key special teams moments. So, of course, there were some bad calls that we saw. Jake, what were the main reasons, though, that the Sun Devils struggled to score the ball more? I think they were they were trying to do a lot of one-on-one action, especially with Trill Mure. They were trying to get the ball to him. Um, seemed like just on, um, you know, kind of get him up in the upstairs and see if he can bring a ball down. And they were kind of struggling with that. And I think typically in offense, it's it's going to – at some point, they're going to bring one ball down. you got to imagine it's the, a receiver like Omire. Um, he's, he has kind of his perfect play style. Um, so when they couldn't get that, it was, you know, a little bit more difficult for that to happen. And then on top of that, they couldn't get a lot of the explosive plays, uh, especially through the air. They only had three in the air, and then they had four on the ground. So – they were just one below their season average, which is um, I think it's eight point three, right around eight, um, which would rank uh, among the second worst and for a full season average in the previous fourteen seasons. So, you know, it's kind of the stuff that we talked about, and Chris even pointed this out um, on Twitter, and I think he made a board post about it as well. Is about you kind of start to see why Dilling, uh, Dillingham went with Rashada to start the season because of his big playability and getting the um, ball out and having those explosive plays and how that's kind of been a little bit of a struggle since Rashada has been out in his absence. Uh, and, you know, besides that pick six at the end, which obviously derailed the entire game up until that point, ASU did a solid job of, you know, protecting the football. Um, but, of course, it comes down to those critical moments, and that was that was just another instance of ASU. Um, ASU's offense just coming up short in those moments and kind of, like, you know, fumbling an opportunity to really get an upset win and kind of get its first marquee win of the season. Now, what are your thoughts on the Sun Devils offensively? It's very interesting because ASU had actually looked like they were very capable of running the ball. Uh, in contrast to recent weeks, they had uh, 4.7 yards per carry, 145 rushing yards. That's solid. But Trenton Bourget completes 55% of 47 passes, throws for fewer than 200 yards, and then obviously had the pick six. I I think their quick game uh, was not nearly as effective as we've seen it, uh, you know, to be against some other teams. It looked like Washington wasn't really respecting uh, any uh, to any extent, really. ASU in, you know, deep throws, uh, vertical routes. They had played a lot more man than maybe some some folks could have expected. Um, and ASU didn't really do anything throughout the game to change that or force them to adjust that much. Um, there were a number of throws downfield that, that Trenton just missed. Um, and under threw. There was one in particular, Troy O'Meary, 
had a step or two even um, on a Washington's uh, defensive back. Probably, you know, would have been a big game, maybe even a touchdown if it was if he was led on it, but instead had to come back underneath the defender to try to make the play. So there's a lot of uh, limitations, I think, that we that we saw play out in this offensive performance uh, passing wise. And then you, you mix in, obviously, the the other things not being able to take the points, uh, you know, th- in, in threes. Uh, the the blocked field goal, the missed thirty one yarder. Um, there's a lot of things that played into that. Uh, some decisions that Dillingham had talked about regarding not taking the field goal uh, prior to the pick six um, because of field goal unit personnel lacking, uh, especially you know on on the edge, needing to pack in the offensive line to try and basically shore up some weaknesses there. So uh, whether or not you believe that to be the case, um, there are a lot of things that really didn't go in their favor there, um, including some bad missed calls uh, officiating wise. Troy Omire, um, again, bringing his name up, he, he is actually looking to be as talented as, as you could have expected from him. Uh, didn't really play as much, but has been much more of a factor. Probably could have caught another touchdown pass um, if he wasn't held uh, very clearly. Uh, the jersey separation on this particular pass interference was was tremendous. Um, and there were two referees on that side of the field. Uh, none of them who had the wherewithal to, to notice that. And there was even uh, another call against Guillory where there might have even been a holding leading up to the pass interference. So take your pick. So there's just a lot of things that didn't go ASU's way. Um, not really using the officiating to say that they that it cost them the game because it definitely didn't. But you you add that on top of the other factors, not being able to pass the ball downfield, right? In, in, in a way, the, the field goal situation being as muddied as it was because of injuries. Uh, and then the fact that they couldn't get some of those calls go their way, it, it adds up. Chris, let's go ahead and go over to you for more on the uh, Sun Devils offense. And you can go ahead and maybe speak on those calls a little bit if you want as well. Well, I do kind of think that the the um, the, the penalties were a major factor in the game. Uh, ASU lost a game that it probably wins if it gets a couple of calls that it should have gotten. The um, Guillory was definitely held. I mean, he tried to catch the ball with one hand. Some pass interference for sure. Skinny post. Um, that one was sort of borderline, I would say, but that was an underthrow by Bourget by at least, I would say, five yards. But then the the one that the refs, you said the refs didn't see that one, no, but they threw the flag on that one the one to Amire, um, where he was really, the jersey was totally pulled. And then somehow they had a conference and they picked it up. And I mean, that should have been first and goal for ASU, but that's a penalty. So, and then they called the block in the back, which was a less egregious foul than two of those, which would have given, both of which would have given ASU first and goal 
or maybe if the penalties had been made, maybe could have the plays could have been made on those balls. Um, and that's that's a shame because it's going to lead to a lot of speculation about, you know, did the Washington get home cooking? Was this to try to preserve their shot at the 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 play in the playoff? You know, I'm not saying any of those things, I'm not making any allegations, but it was just bad, bad, bad calls, very bad, and in a one-sided way. I mean, not not to say that some calls didn't go ASU's way. But when I watched a lot of it back, I just saw clearly ASU got the short end of the stick uh, on on it. But still had a good chance to win. Nonetheless, the team uh, was two of six on fourth downs. They ran the ball twice for fourth down conversions. And they were 0-4 on the rest. Trenton Bourget, the pick six. Only thing you can't do, still a pick six. That's it. You don't do that. Still got a great chance to win the game. As soon as you do that, now the game is is been swung in a in a major way, the opposite direction. One play. He also missed other throws. Noah talked about the one. I talked about the one. Dil Mire, Jalen Conyers diving fourth down was off his fingertips. That wasn't tight enough to the body. That was that was a conversion in plus territory that would have kept them moving. And there were other throws as well that I saw. And look, quarterback's going to get an outsized amount of blame when things go wrong. But in this game, the way that ASU ran the ball reasonably well and the, the performance of its defense, quarterback play was one of the three or four most significant factors. And... um we played a lot of man coverage and there were opportunities and you got to get the ball to where it needs to go. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's a very difficult thing. It's raining in the first half. It's cold. It's wet. The ball's heavier. It's damp. You got, it's not easy. Not nobody's saying it's easy, but they just don't have explosive plays in the passing game. And they're so limited offensively that they need those. And they do have Badger, Guillory, Conyers, Omire. And they have the ability to hit on some throws. And he did have some good throws. The one to, to Guillory was a very good throw. It was interference. He only got one hand on the ball. So, Borgay gets the ball out quickly. He diagnosed things in a hurry. Their offensive line issues continue to mount. Maxi Hanachor knocked out of the game. They kicked Joey Ramos from right guard to right tackle. They put in. Somebody else, Cade Briggs, who's been playing hurt with a knee injury for much of the season. You got Sean Na'a, true freshman, playing at left guard. Isai Glass is not one of the better offensive tackles in the league, probably in the bottom bottom tier at left tackle. But they still, they still did enough that they should have been able to convert on their opportunities. And a big part of this is the special teams element of it, which we're going to talk about in a second here. Yeah, you mentioned special teams, a major factor in this one. ASU missed a field goal, had another one blocked. Chris, anything else kind of jump out to you special teams-wise here? It's been a a huge factor in ASU's losses on special teams. The, 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 The punt 
game difference between when Josh Carlson was out there versus what opponents of ASU were getting, like in the Cal game, for example, was was massive. Like that was probably the difference in that game. And then this game, ASU had a couple guys get hurt. They're shortening, they're condensing how tightly packed they are, blocking on that field goal unit, which allows a, a shorter end, shorter edge that you could get around and you get a block as a result, partly as a result of that. And then the other thing was they took a five-yard penalty trying to get Washington to jump off sides. And then that 31 yards, great guy who's made all six of his kicks inside of 50 of the season, Dario Longhetto, hits the upright. Again, it's on, it's, it's on the road in the rain. You can't You can't just – so I don't – Dillingham said it's a 2% difference, 25 to 30 yards. They were trying to get an offside. Okay, you want to kind of preserve the penalty, the the the, the, the uh, timeouts, but it's the first half. I think that you either have to take a timeout there or you can't really risk that in a game that you, when you know that points are at a premium for your offense. That's the key part. And then at the end of the game, <clears throat> I tweeted before the – ASU went for it on fourth and three or four on the pick six that I would have kicked a field goal. It was, uh, ASU had a chance to, uh, make it a, a, a tour Washington needed to, I mean, ASU would have gone for two to try to put them up eight points and, and, and put the game out of reach or nine points. I guess it would have been right to put the game out of reach, but, but, if you don't, your 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 ability to get that is probably no more than fifty percent, and you're on on fourth down conversions for the year. ASU is fifty percent, so you're looking at probably no more than a twenty five percent ish chance of making it a two score game in that situation, where a field goal makes it so that Washington needs a touchdown in the rest of the fourth quarter to have a chance to win. And even if it got a touchdown and went for one, ASU could have got a field goal to force overtime. So, but the reason I think that Dillingham did that was what I said earlier, which was he was concerned they wouldn't be able to block for a field goal. I think that was that was a big major factor for him. And it's hard to say. I, 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 It's a close decision. I probably would have kicked at me. I think that ASU has been ASU is the worst third down offense in the Pac-12. They are converting only 32% of their third down and they're 50% on fourth down, which is like the third or fourth worst. You know, so I just didn't have a lot of confidence in that situation that they were going to get what they wanted or needed to. And um, you know, we're never going to see the alternate, so it's hard to really say, but very unfortunate when you when your offense is so limited, you need defense and special teams and turnover margin to all go your way. And when that doesn't happen, and almost all these games have had one of those elements not work or multiple not work, that is a perfect recipe for how you end up at one and six as they are. All right, guys, so let's go ahead and take a bit of a look ahead here. And I want to get your thoughts on the week ahead and 
what we might see as far as practice uh, and game trends. Go ahead and just fire away on whatever you've got, Jake. We'll go ahead and go over to you. I think the thing I'm looking for um, for the defense is, like like I said earlier, they're the strongest side of the ball going to provide the best, um, you know, more than likely the best performance in any given game the rest of the way. But I'm curious to see if this week they're able to put together the turnovers and build upon that that they had against Washington while adding onto the sacks they have because obviously they didn't have any sacks or quarterback hurries in, the, in its previous game. So that's one thing I'm looking forward to see if that that can kind of finally the both of those can work together. Um, and then offensively, too, it always comes down to the explosive plays and how can you and it's kind of redundant to say that because we talked about how it's been a, it's it's hard to do that when, you know, it's not really or gays game to air the ball out 30 yards and have the receiver catch it deep down the field. Um, but maybe they're able to capitalize on explosive plays with some creativity or trick plays um, and, you know, maybe even in the running game too, uh, and trying to figure out a way to get 10 yards or more uh, per, you know, on, on the ground. So those are something they're kind of looking forward to this week. Now your thoughts on this coming week. How does ASU's offensive players, key offensive players respond to Dillingham's message? It's embarrassing, honestly, to have something like that happen where you have the contrast between the cleanest bus someone's ever seen and then and then not even close to that for the offensive bus uh, because it has nothing to do with their ability on the football field. It has everything to do with their character and with their ability to hold each other accountable, right? And that all that all that is is effort. There is no talent involved in that equation so he's been saying it all season about the need for someone or a group of people to step up on that side of the ball from that standpoint and he has given here's the thing he has given praise to his guys when he's seen it fit he had the situation where after the the 29-0 loss to fresno state Everyone showed up 10 minutes early to the offensive meeting. He said he he told the media that and he and he praised them. And he was like, that is a great sign. Right. But there hasn't been nearly enough of that in comparison to some of these other things that have popped up with, you know, with regard to leadership and an accountability. And, and so that's that's what I'm looking for, because this this offense, they're going to have their injury problems. Uh, you know, that that's going to remain a thing. They have certain limitations as far as their talent. But in the first year of a, of a new head coach, he wants to see those other things, right, be established. On defense, it's there. On offense, it's not. And it, when we're past the midway point of the season. So it's going to be interesting, you know, with a record of one and six, whether or not these players on offense are going to show that they actually care about what it is that their head coach is emphasizing and what it is that he's trying to build here because it's not about the wins. Again, it's not about the wins. Right. And so that, that is the biggest thing I think moving forward, if we can get a glimpse into that uh, from practices or, or, or what Dillingham brings up moving forward um, that, that I'm going to be especially keen to, to monitor. Chris, let's go ahead and have you get your final thoughts in here. 
Very well stated, I think, by Noah. Uh, couldn't agree more. Dillingham has been begging his offensive players to show better effort, care, sense of purpose, respect for your teammates. And it's just not happened to the, to the degree that it should be. Now, I will say that um, when you have a quarterback competition the way that ASU had, even though Trenton Borgay was coming back, that creates a potential void for a leader uh, because it's hard to be a leader when you're not the starter or whatever. That It, it could be perceived that way. Or maybe somebody, you know, they, they view that as a challenge. But you just think Borgay, like, like, hey, man, like we all leave the press box. I tell you guys, clean up our space. Quarterback. Hey guys, clean up the bus, man. Like, I, like that's not hard to do. I'm not saying it's 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 like only him. I, we've already talked about Jalen Conyers and Elijah Badger and some of the opportunities that have been missed by them this season on effort plays or whatever. It's just uh, don't you don't you have a pride in you that says, okay, we're losing because of us these other guys are our brothers they're our teammates they're doing everything that they can they are they are putting out performances that are that are phenomenal like washington among the best of any team in the country this year what are we doing to support them they're our friends these are our these are our brothers man and i just think that you have to think about it from that prism that these guys, they just leave the bus like that. And Dillingham is clearly trying to make a point. That is what he's doing every time he talks to us about the the absence of what he's seeing on offense that is different from what are the, the standard habits of a winning team, a winning group. And I just think that that shouldn't have to be repeated six weeks in a row, eight weeks in a row. Where it's like, come on, guys, what are we doing? Like, so I just think that there's something missing. I hate to say it in some of these guys. Like, they don't want it enough, which sucks because it because these other guys are their teammates and they're playing their guts out. And I guess what I would say is that you have to find people on offense in this offseason that are like Trey Brown and Jordan Clark and Deshaun Mallory. You got to bring them in and you got to use them to change your culture. Because even if, <clears throat> pardon me, even if Borgay's your quarterback next year or Rashad is your quarterback next year, he's never played, you know, he's played two games, he's young, whatever, you still have the potential to have that void. And you need to fill that. And you need to fill that with people that are ultra competitive. They refuse to not be successful. They just refuse. That a lot of life is, is just the choice that you make. And then what follows the choice is maybe it takes 18 hours a day to get this to happen. You know, maybe that's what it takes. But I don't see enough of players on the offense 
especially in leadership positions, who are pushing for that. And that that's, Dillingham says, that's disappointing. And it, it very clearly caught, led to them losing this game. I just wanted to say this too, just on top of this, because we're being very critical of the offense. There are guys, like someone like a Joey Ramos, for, for instance, right? He, he is so tough. That guy has been then fighting through some health issues, some of his own injuries, and he he stuck it out. Obviously, Chris reported before the Washington game that he was going to try to play. He did, and he played ba- basically the entire game. So there there are examples, there are instances in which you can you can see some guys who who, who have um, th- those qualities, right, of toughness, of grit, and things that other people can model. But for whatever reason, right, that is just not being that is not being mirrored nearly enough by the collective. The lack of infectiousness. Like Ramos does have that in spades. Guy's playing with a broken bone in his hand. He's got another injury. He's not even practicing. So that should be permeating your whole offense. Other people should be seeing that. Joey's doing all this for us. Let's do it for him. Let's, you know, and there's just something missing, sadly, in some of these other guys. Because that, when you look, Dillingham used Utah as the example, right? Showed all this film of Utah. What does Utah do? They got receivers and tight ends that knock your block off. They're so physical on the perimeter. They're 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 dogs. Those guys are dogs. And ASU has a has guys that are just not too many guys that are in important roles that are not of that caliber, not of that mentality. And the thing about it is that that's going to matter for them in their individual lives, not just on a football team in 2023 for ASU. They're going to play here or somewhere else next year. People are going to evaluate them. They want to play at the next level. They want to go on and have professional careers in some other aspect. It's so hard. And they really need guys to step up. And that has been a persistent theme throughout the season. As Dillingham has said, and we have really talked about throughout the year and that coupled with a few of these other things is enough for them to not be able to get over the hump right now. Yeah. Thanks guys. Good final thoughts there to end the podcast out with, uh, as always, thank you to the listeners for joining us once again, ASU and Washington state up next on the schedule. But before that, we'll be back with a premium podcast detailing everything to key in on for that matchup. But until then, that'll do it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For Noah Furtado, Jake Seymour, and Chris Carmen, I'm Ethan Tunnel saying thank you so much. We'll see you next time.